uh, for most of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, again, I have to use Nigeria as an example, we have close to 80% of people are in the informal sector. That is a scenario that conventional housing finance uh, has never really come to terms with. Uh, and I think that is deeply systemic. Uh, in trying to find a solution to housing in Africa, we need to be looking at a housing finance framework uh, that serves uh, a population where an overwhelming majority are both in the informal sector, but are also on very low income. How do you how do you fund these people? Welcome to Empower, the first real fire property platform on Cardano that combines emerging technology, sustainable building, and decentralized financial inclusion. My name is Blaine, and I'm the sustainability architect here at Empower. And on this podcast, we'll be sharing conversations based around Empower's three key principles of building, community, and impact. If you want to join our journey and help us build a better future with Empower, then make sure to subscribe. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the Empower podcast. My name is Blaine, and today we'll be talking with Olu Olamruwaju and Femi Adewale from the affordable housing company uh, THC or TAC, I think, is that how you pronounce it, TAC? Um, a Nigerian company focused on affordable housing investment and management in sub-Sahara Africa. Um, Olu and Femi, thanks for joining us on this podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you, Blaine. Thank you, Blaine. No worries. So today's show will be kind of introducing TAC uh, and also introducing uh, your you guys and your professional background. Um, so I think to start, we'll we'll begin with introducing each of you. Um, so maybe Femi will come to you first for an introduction, and then after you, we can uh, go on to Olu. Okay. Thank you, Blaine. Um, my name is. Femi Adewale, I'm an advisor um, uh, to the African and Affordable Housing Company. Um, I trained as an architect uh, um, about 35 years ago now, uh, but very quickly um, after about five years practicing as an architect, primarily in the residential sector, moved into housing development. Um, a lot of that um, career was in the affordable housing sector in England. Um, and after doing that for about 20 years, um, came back to sub-Saharan Africa, uh, first uh, to support the government of Lagos State in Nigeria um, uh, with a large-scale housing program and subsequently um, went to work for uh, Shelter Africa, uh, which is the Pan-African Housing Finance uh, Company for another eight years. Uh, in the last four years, uh, up until the end of October, uh, I'd been uh, leading um, Nigeria's largest uh, affordable housing fund, uh, the Family Homes Funds, and uh, upon retirement uh, from active service at the end of October, I have commenced um, uh, supporting uh, the affordable housing company. 
awesome. Oli, over to you. Um, if funny enough, um, Femi's um, career um, chimes <laughs> mine in the sense that um, I've had um, nearly 30 years of um, working in the housing sector in the UK. Um, I've held a number of senior positions in some of the largest um, housing companies in the UK um, until about six years ago. Um, I decided to move into consultancy when I joined um, one of the sort of foremost UK housing um, advisory firm called Altair. Um, and part of my joining them was to help them to set up the international practice. And um, so I currently, in my day job, lead the Altair International um advisory services which provide housing related advisory services across the globe or primarily in Africa and we've done some assignments as well in um in Asia. By qualification background, I'm a chartered surveyor. Um, so uh, my my background is in planning and development. And then outside of sort of the day job I hold a number of non-executive roles in property management companies, as well as um, um, a number of charities as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. I, I've got a list of questions here uh, relating to affordable housing and then I guess how it links with uh, specifically to Nigeria. Um, I'm going to go through them and I guess instead of each of you can just respond um, however you want to. I don't think we need to go Olu and Femi, just we can be pretty organic about it. Um, but considering each of your professional uh, experience experiences, I uh, might kind of tap into your insight um, into, I guess, a lot of people in our community are aware of the systemic issues uh, in affordable housing across the African continent. Um, but maybe, obviously, because a lot of us, these are people outside of Africa, a lot of them, um, it's hard to, I guess, understand what those challenges are. Um, so from your perspective, what do you see as being some of the biggest systemic failures in the affordable housing sector in Africa? And can you give some examples of how those challenges have manifested in in practice? Well, okay. <laughs> There are quite pretty, a number pretty, of... pretty, pretty big one to start us off. <laughs> yeah, let, let me start with the big one. I, I think perhaps the biggest one is land. Um, uh, I think most people um, uh, perhaps um, don't appreciate the essence of land uh, to the African. Um, uh, land is, is, is essential to being who you are, your humanity. And therefore, um, in a number of African countries, uh, fairly Western models uh, of land ownership have been imposed on very strongly held traditional beliefs about land. And when you then plan to um, uh, put development on that, uh, it becomes a major problem. So for example, in Nigeria where I work, but I think, this replicates itself across many countries. Um, a lot people, local people believe that they own land. Uh, so the notion of a, of a law that trans, transfers all land to the ownership of a government 
uh, is not won even after 40 years uh, that has been well received. Uh, and the implication of that tension uh, and uncertainty around land ownership is that it makes development extremely difficult, but also expensive uh, in most of Africa uh, because there's uncertainty about the land title, there is uncertainty about the cost of land, there's uncertainty about who owns land. Um, and then you then have to, in many cases, deal with communal issues. So this, uh, this is a very big issue that significantly undermines both development, but also the scale uh, of, um, of development. So, so that's, I think, one uh, big one, uh, given that every development, including housing development, starts with, uh, 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 with land. I think before uh, Olu comes in, um, let me mention the second one. Um, uh, the second one, I think, is probably the absence of uh, and the failure in some cases to have developed strong institutions uh, that have sufficient um, capacity and robustness uh, to manage the risks that are inherent in housing development in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, so just to kind of give you some, some data around that, um, um, again, uh, if I use Nigeria as an example, uh, we have almost no development company uh, that is able to complete um, 500 homes a year. And this is in the markets where you have a population of 200 million uh, people. So most of the development companies are quite small. Uh, they are quite um, uh, uh, poorly capitalized, uh, which means that they're really unable to manage the risks that are inherent in, in development or even have any significant economies of scale. It also means that they are likely to be very poorly managed and poorly run and unable to pay for superior quality uh, uh, services. Uh, so again, that poses a very uh, significant uh, systemic challenge in the, in the, in the housing space uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I'll just stop with those two. There are a couple more, but I think I'll let uh, only come in. He's familiar with the markets. Oh, no, no, thanks, Femi. I mean, the, the other big one, I suppose, I would add to that is the absence of um, affordable finance. Or, or I mean, so the, there's absolutely no issue about the housing need is there, but we don't have effective demand. So the, there's no effective demand in terms of people having access to affordable housing finance to enable them to exercise that demand. So, so housing finance, then also, you also then look at the other side of it in terms of project finance. So that even if you fix the land, the fact that the developers, the cost of finance is just so expensive, it means that um, it is very difficult to um, get large scale volume development going because, and especially affordable housing at a large scale, then uh, of course it's not unique to Africa, 
But there's also the other wider macroeconomic challenges around inflation, uh, cost of raw materials, building skills, as well as, especially if we're looking at your question from the point of view of not just producing housing, but the ability to produce housing at scale that is much needed, then you will argue that actually the, the macroeconomic environment and the absence of that also contributes significantly to the um, challenges um, um, Africa faces. Then the other bit of it is political will. Um, it's um, it's not unusual uh, uh, to see, um, and I always smile, to see a lot of um, announcements from government saying, well, we're going to build 100,000 units this year or 250,000. I don't even know how, how, where, where this will get the numbers from. But like Femi said, in an environment where you don't have a developer that actually produces mm. 500 a year, so there's a mismatch between that policy or poli political intent and the um, political commitment to put in place the enabling um, um, uh, framework to deliver those numbers and also to be realistic about how, what that system can deliver uh, so that um, you, you don't have these sort of um, table tennis with numbers that uh, take place on a regular basis. So those would be some of the big issues um, from my perspective. So, Blaine, let me just come in with one final one. And I yeah. thought I'd just keep this back because for me, it's perhaps the biggest one. Um, conventional housing finance uh, includes a series of presumptions. And one of those presumptions is that you have a developer who builds and you have a buyer who accesses a mortgage or something of the sort uh, to buy the houses. And this is a conventional uh, Western uh, housing finance uh, model, uh, which works uh, where you have a very highly formalized economy. Uh, for most of Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, again, I have to use Nigeria as an example, we have close to 80% of uh, people are in the informal sector. Uh, 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 that is a scenario that conventional housing finance uh, has never really come to terms with. Uh, and I think that is deeply systemic. Uh, in trying to find a solution to housing in Africa, we need to be looking at a housing finance framework uh, that serves uh, a population where an overwhelming majority are both in the informal sector, but are also on very low income. How do you, how do you fund these people? Interesting, interesting. So maybe maybe let's expand on that one in particular because that one's quite relevant, I guess, to what we are we are doing. So it seems like, you know, if we look at the population, uh, I think you mentioned eighty percent of the population uh, has informal employment, informal income, and for those sorts of people, it's hard for them to access the traditional um, financial systems there, which aren't really made to serve people with informal uh, employment. Uh, is that right? So the, the financial systems there aren't actually fit for the people uh, in the countries that uh, they operate in. Um, there's a mismatch there. So yeah, a solution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for, for me, it's right. I think the point being made is that 
the traditional on the writing standards are not they're not they're not designed for informal sector they 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 design for um formal arrangement where you've got certainty of payment they can look at your payment track record you have access to data all these sorts of uh credit checks that you and i are used to um whether it's australia or new zealand or the uk or in some cases all of us or in some in african markets as well but those are the sort of formal tools that mm-hmm. is based on predictability because what you're getting is long-term finance and this is all predictable. Somebody's trying to risk assess your ability to pay over a long mm-hmm. period of time. When you're in a market where not only that 80% of people are informal sector, but significant people are also poor, but at the same time, it must be said, uh, which is this interesting point, we, we shouldn't lose the fact, even though it's an informal sector, there's still a lot of people that have enough income mm. streams that are it may not be recorded, but enough income stream to sustain payment and, and to meet their obligation. The issue is always that we never have enough data to at the beginning of that transaction. What you always find out as uh, as the example in Mozambique with the uh, Castle Real issue, post sales. People then display behaviors, either accelerating payments or in some cases with incremental housing, building quicker because they're accessing funds and resources that are not formal or that are not um, recognized at the beginning. So because it's informal, we need to be careful that we don't always associate it with being, being poor and not being able to afford because you go to some of the uh, houses or where people live that are in the operating the informal sector, uh, decisions they're making in terms of um, um, where they send their kids to schools and all that stuff. It shows you that there's a mismatch between mm-hmm. what uh, is termed official income and actually the lifestyle people are living. Mm. And so I'm, I think we it just want to convey to your audience. I'm, I'm not saying that's universally everybody, but being informal does not just mean that people are poor. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a point. I don't know that, whether uh, Femi agrees with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe Femi, do you have any points on that? Thoughts on well, that? Absolutely. I think uh, you know, there are two different things. Informality, there are very wealthy people uh who are in the informal sector. And uh, there are very poor people who are in the informal in the informal sector, just as we have very poor people in the formal sector, and uh, very rich people in the formal sector. Uh, it's about earnings, regardless of which sector you are. But I think it's important to overlay that. Um, I think Nigeria recently published its um, its um, uh, um, uh, uh, livelihood survey. Um, at late last year, uh, and about 73% um, of the population were deemed uh, to be having multidimensional poverty. Okay, so generally speaking, uh, most of sub-Saharan um, population are also not just only informal, uh, they're also uh, vastly uh, 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 on low income, on low or no income. Two separate things, but vastly on low income. 
Of course, it must be said that in a big population like Nigeria, even the 20 or so percent who are not classified as being on low income uh, amounts to 40 million people. So, so that it's a, that's a big market, uh, which we have not, um, uh, which we have not even sufficiently addressed. So that 40 million um, uh, person market. What did you categorize? What did you say that market was? People that were yeah, who are not classified as being multidimensionally okay. poor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still potentially in the informal market or the the formal some either. Some in the informal market. Some yeah. in the formal market. Yes. Okay, but there's still a significant portion of people that could Can be in afford. a position where they could afford to to take out a home loan. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. I think another interesting point that you brought out earlier was around the fact that not many housing developers have the capacity to develop more than, say, 500 homes per year. Um, and then you kind of contrast that with some political statements saying that they've got to build 100,000 homes per year. So there's like a mismatch there. Um and when we are looking at Empower, like our end goal is, you know, we've financed 30 homes in, in Bayer, Mozambique at the moment, and we've got a, you know, a contract or agreement for another 25,000 homes. But the end goal is 50 million because that's currently the, the backlog. But it's hard for us to, I guess, get to that point where the housing developer, developer capacity is, is kind of bottlenecked at kind of 500 per, per year. So what are some of the reasons why that capacity doesn't go beyond that 500 or per year or like 100 homes per year? Like what are some of the, the major uh, causes for, for that limitation for houses developed per year, in your opinion? Okay. I, I think I, I, maybe Olu will jump in there, but I, I think my, my sensing of that is that that itself is a result, is a systemic issue. So where you have a problem with land where you have a largely um, informal population and then where you have a, a very limited amount of financing, particularly um, um, uh, exit or demand side financing. It means that you really can't build very much because you can't sell very much because there are not many people who can buy very much. And therefore, uh, you are you are accustomed to only building what you think the limited demand financing available can take. And therefore, if also you organize your structure to build 100 houses or 50 houses, because that is what you safely think uh, or believe uh, rationally that the market can absorb. And so the fact that we don't have developers who are able to build 30,000 houses a year, like you have in some parts of Europe, and in fact, in some uh, parts of North Africa, is basically because if they build 30,000 houses, they will go under because it's going to be difficult for them um, uh, to sell these houses because who will buy them possibly don't have access. Uh, to financing that will enable them uh, to, that's affordable for them to buy these houses. But my view is that if you sort out the financing issues um, and, and people can 
have access to affordable um, uh, uh, financing to buy their homes, I think the market will respond mm-hmm. and developers will scale up uh, to build um, uh, uh, much more units. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I think um, the example I always use um, um, to, uh, for, to, to explain that, where you can see that if you sort out the end user finance, you open up the market. It's always been the, I don't know the situation in Australia, but in, in, the, in the UK, I remember nearly 30 years ago, it's unique, it's, it was totally unique to see people buying expensive new cars. Most of everybody I knew was always buying second-hand car or third-hand car, whatever. But the moment the car manufacturers ended up putting in place a financing system that allow people to lease cars, it's actually the reverse now, which is that most people now have access to new cars because that that financing system is being resolved, so it's opened up the market significantly, uh, and they develop the can manufacturers as part of their sales are not even telling you to go and find finance. They sort out the finances for you. So that's an example for me where I I can I, I can sort of um, attest to what Femi is saying that if you fix the end user finance, and my sense is that once you also create big scale developers, the pressure on fixing, getting government to fix the um, land constraint will also come in parallel because this will be big businesses that will have influence and also will ensure that because land is more or less the raw material for uh, real estate and inevitably will then try to put pressure on government to unlock, in my view, a lot of those issues about um, uh, providing land and um, sorting out, especially service plots to make it easier or land banking to make it easier for those developers. And then the third part of it is that real estate is a very expensive business. And the larger you are, the more resources you have. You can then forward fund and and start having a pool of land that you can then better control your development not the current model of actually you're building, you make sure you sell, you've sold it first before you then start looking at the new project. But once you've got that resource, you can forward plan. And that's which is what happened in a lot of uh, matured environment that actually most developers, they land bank and they're getting planning permission and all this other stuff to move the um, agenda going. Interesting. That's a, that example, I'm definitely going to do some research on that afterwards because there's a lot of, I guess, similarities between that and the, the housing market at the moment. And I think one thing that we often talk to is uh, that Mario deal and Glenn talk about this all the time. It's it's almost like this limitless, like endless demand for affordable housing in Africa. And it seems like you know, affordable finance um, is a key part to really unlock that. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of businesses they may have to face, you know, question marks around is there actually demand for this product? But it seems to be that the demand for affordable housing in Africa is there's no question marks around, you know, is there demand? The demand is there. It's just around 
creating the systems to really unlock that. And a key part of that is the affordable housing, uh, the affordable finance, which we are, which yeah. is, I guess, specifically what we're trying to uh, tackle. In, in, indeed. I mean, if you, if you look at it from a, a wider macroeconomy, we go into reception when people talk about lack of consumer confidence, which is basically a lot of the time people do not have enough money in their pocket to buy goods and services. And so, so basically that is telling you that there's a correlation between an healthy economic system or a, an healthy um, uh, real estate system or whatever system when people have the means to buy. So this, and this is, is basic economics. There's a difference between need, uh, having the need, and actually having the effective demand, which is that you have the means to exercise that particular need. And what we're seeing in a lot of African countries is that the absence of um, uh, affordable housing finance delays and also constrains the, the, the market in a significant way. Okay, I'd love to uh, maybe go into the affordable housing company and give that a bit of an intro for those. I know, Ollie, we did a bit of an intro a while back, but yeah. for those that missed that uh, that podcast, um, what's the what's the mission um, for the affordable housing company? What inspired the the company's focus on affordable housing in uh, in Nigeria and Sub-Sahara Africa? I mean, it's very simple. Very simple. Our mission is to expand delivery of, um, as we've said, it to expand delivery of um, affordable housing across um, Africa, um, and 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 recently. I will also say affordable green housing because the reality is that, um, uh, as you well know, uh, climate change is having disproportionate effect in a lot of parts of Africa. Um, the reality is also that housing is a major contributor to carbon emission. So if the um, vision is to expand housing supply in Africa, then we need to make sure that we have an inbuilt um, uh, adaptation measures to ensure that actually the new housing we're building is green so we don't have to retrofit them in the future, even though there's still a huge gap in the retrofit market in terms of existing properties. So we've also felt it's actually we, we need to adapt and adopt the, the green agenda in terms of um, um, in terms of um, tackle, um, so so expanding, but just not expanding affordable housing. I think what we also thought we wanted to do was to create places people want to live, uh, places where they want to work. Incre incre increasingly, with a lot of people working from home, also people places they want to work, where they want to bring up their children. So. It's it's always been that ambition that we want to not only provide affordable housing, but do it taking into account a lot of the disparate uh, disparate skills and expertise of the founders of um um uh, of the affordable housing company. And most of us um that um, founded the company, we all come from we have a unique common experience that. Uh, our background is that we've uh, we're steep uh, we're sort of steeped in um, uh, the housing sector in the UK. We have a long history 
of um, uh, understanding how the housing sector in the UK work, um, and also understanding of the particular issues across Africa in terms of delivering affordable housing. So we've always sought to bring, act as a bridge from a diaspora effect of um, 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 bringing the our expertise, knowledge and skills, but at the same time, uh, recognizing that it needs to be adapted to the local conditions uh, and, and local constraints that um, we, we face in Africa. Um, so it's been an interesting journey. Um, we now have our first project in Abuja. Uh, we've bought, um, we also acquired a site in um, Ghana. But in terms of the Abuja project, we're building 100 homes. We launched sales of that about a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's, it's been an, um, a labor of love sometimes, and it's been um, painstaking and a uh, lot of hard work. But we think we're, we're, we're making progress. And obviously, we've We've latterly, since his retirement, brought someone like Femi to help us in terms of his um, local knowledge and understanding of the market to help us translate our, our dreams into reality. Um, yeah, so that's... Um, and, and the other thing is just we, we're also very keen to... Um, th these are soft issues, but things like governance, things like um, um, creating a sustainable institution is also one of the things that is driving us so that um, it, the organization is built on strong foundations other than just um we 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 do it one single project and then we we pack it in we we want to be sustainable we want to be in the long term and we think part of that is putting in place um strong foundations um uh, which governance is one of them yeah. And also recruiting um talented people. Okay. Um in terms of uh I guess work moving forward, can you speak to some of the strategies at the affordable housing company um that is based around bridging that gap between supply and demand in in Nigeria? It, like how are you guys thinking about I guess approaching that? that challenge of bridging the gap between supply and demand. Okay, so let, let me try and come in there. I think one of the things I'll add to what Olu has said about um, the DNA for, uh, for the affordable housing company uh, in a market like this uh, has to be the capacity to be nimble and innovate. Um, and um, on, the, on the project, particularly the, the startup project in Nigeria, is been around innovation on a couple of fronts. And, and one of those key fronts around which we're innovating is both on the bridging the gap between the demand and the supply. So uh, just very briefly, what are we doing on those two ends? So on the supply end, at the very uh, beginning of the project, we engaged with um, a cooperative uh, society. So, so you know, we have about seventy-two thousand of them uh, in in Nigeria, but these are big um, um, uh, um, uh, vehicles across Sub-Saharan Africa with the capacity to mobilize people, mobilize savings. And I think that um, one of the ideas that we had was working with cooperatives 
to establish um, uh, a viable demand base for the houses that we build. Okay, mm -hmm. so in the absence of a mortgage, how do you organize cooperatives? How do you organize saving schemes with them uh, so that they can um, uh, they can then buy the houses that are built? But most significantly, the early engagement with these cooperatives also enables us to get a sense for what kind of houses should will be building, where should we be building it, and at what price should we be building them? Essentially, ensuring that supply aligns with demand. Uh, and, and that is what we have done on this first project, which meant that when we went in, we had a reasonable assurance uh, that all of the 100 homes we were looking to build were contracted to be bought uh, by uh, pre-identified uh, people. So, so on the demand side, that is what we're doing, but that actually drives everything because it meant that uh, in building on the supply side and closing this gap, we weren't going to go and build a $30,000 home or $40,000 homes because we, need that, we knew that the demand side could not afford that. So we built homes that are building homes that was actually engineered and designed to the test, but also the affordability. Uh, of a pre-identified uh, demand port. And I think that uh, that is an innovation. Um, uh, we're not there yet, but we will continue to press on that particular channel uh, with a view to bringing the demand side and the supply side a little bit closer together. One interesting chart that I saw a little while ago was a chart that was showing Nigeria's population as being um, the growth of that and how it's kind of growing at a rapid rate and how by 2050, I think, is projected to be the third most um, populated country in the world. Um, Absolutely. In terms of affordable housing, how do you think about that um, and the opportunities and challenges that come with that sort of a, a population growth trend? Well, the challenges are enormous. By 2050, we'll have a population of just uh, over 400 million people. Um, uh, what is more interesting is that about 70% of those are likely to be young people, people below the age of 35. Uh, so big, big opportunity. So I, I think the challenge uh, in terms of... Um, uh, leveraging, uh, uh, being able to access those opportunities is how do we address the systemic challenges that you started this conversation with? Uh, how do we address ensuring that land is available for affordable housing? Because with an increasing population and rapid urbanization, there's going to be big pressure on land. Um, how do we address um, as access and availability to affordable long-term housing finance? How do we create institution that money wants to flow to? Um, and, those are, and, and those are the things that uh, the affordable housing company wants to do. Um, uh, we want to create um, a strong institution and I think partnership with the likes of Empower, are really part of, um, 
of uh, the steps that, that the company is taking uh, towards that end. Uh, we've got to ensure that we create a company that finance uh, can flow and finds um, uh, 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 acceptable to flow to. Um, and we want to have relationships uh, with partners that gives access uh, to the land that is needed uh, to build housing. Interesting. Um, there's probably, time is running out, so there's there's probably one closing question um, that I'd love to get your opinion on. Um, essentially, it's kind of open-ended, but what message would you like to leave our listeners with regards to the future of affordable housing in Nigeria and broadly Africa as well? What kind of closing messages do you, do you want to leave the listeners? So we'll go to both uh, of you. Okay. I, I think from my perspective, I think it, as um, Femi suggested and you mentioned, the reality is that there is an housing crisis. There's a significant growth in population there's growth in urbanization. Um, if I'm looking at uh, what's happening in other African countries, I think there's a growing political realization from governments that these issues cannot be abandoned or ignored. Um, they, we've had some successes. Family Homes Fund is an example of a, uh, of a housing fund that was set up from scratch that has made a significant difference in a short period of time. Um, so we we do have examples that where there's political commitment, where there's focus and the way they, we put up the right teams together and we're trying to tackle some of these underlying issues, we can uh, generate a lot of success. So whilst we've talked about some of the challenges, uh, we I have an optimistic outlook in the sense that I know also from my vast experience of working in the UK. A number of the markets we're comparing, the African markets, were not built overnight. Um, the, uh, the UK matured housing markets has been, in terms of recent um, histories, over 100 years old. So some of the, uh, but obviously because of the challenges we currently face in, in, in Africa, in Nigeria, there's a need to accelerate some of the uh, policies and some of the progress that needs to be made. But, but one shouldn't... So whilst this is a daunting um, prospect, um, it's one I think we embrace with gusto and think that um, um, over time we'll be able to play with support from um, uh, um, investors, um, um, support from governments we should have a, a fair chance of um, being successful with okay, okay look I, I think I, I totally agree with with Olu. um I think that um, what I see um, is incredible opportunity um, uh, but to to crystallize those opportunities significant amount of work is required by the public sector, i.e. governments and the private sector and entrepreneurs. Um, but I think for the will uh, for that work uh, to, to happen, uh, there needs to be a big change in perspective that there is a tendency to see housing 
as um, a, a social activity. But actually, I think given the number of houses that we have to build in Africa over the next 25 years, and the supply and value chain that sits behind housing, it has to be a major lever of economic development uh, for the African continent in terms of the jobs that it can create, in terms of the industrialization that it can stimulate, and the, 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 um, uh, the, the impact on quality of life, health, and education. So I think if housing is seen in a much broader perspective, in fact, as, a, as an economic development uh, necessity, uh, we're likely to get the kind of attention from government and organized private sector uh, to take that market to the next level. <laughs>